welcome to a supplemental edition of the first episode of Sportsish. I'm Chad Shanks, and if you're looking for the first full episode of this series, you'll want to download the one titled Episode 1, Team Social Media in the Rise of NBA Twitter. But if you've already listened to it and want to hear more from my guest from that episode, then you are in the right place. This is my full interview with Jared Wilson, formerly the voice of the Atlanta Hawks digital brand. This was an especially interesting conversation, not just because Jared is one of the most well-regarded people to ever take the reins of an NBA team's account, but because from the time he agreed to the interview to the time he was able to actually do it, he had turned in his resignation with the Hawks. So the discussion took a little bit of a different angle than I had been expecting, but in it, Jared provides a great timeline of the life of this position from the early days of just joking around to adapting to becoming a revenue source and all the headaches that come along with that. And finally, to what could make someone walk away from what many see as a dream job. But I'm sure he'll be as, just as successful in his next gig. And after listening to him here, I'm sure you'll very much agree. So here is my conversation with Jared Wilson. Um, well, first of all, just tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, did, did you grow up in Atlanta? Uh, no, I actually grew up in Chicago. So I, uh, I was in Chicago all the way through high school um, in a western suburb called St. Charles, which is very close to Naperville for those who aren't familiar. Um, and then after high school, I actually went to school at the University of Missouri, go Tigers. And uh, I majored in journalism there. I've always been kind of interested in writing and journalism. So I went into journalism. Um, You know, while I was there, I actually worked for the university's TV station. Uh, It was an NBC affiliate that was owned by the university. And uh, I was doing a lot of their online and social media kind of writing. Um, Social media, this was 2010, mind you. So social media had just kind of really gotten started as something that, that brands could use. But uh, after that, um, that job in college kind of gave me the, the launch to my career, which my first job was uh, Fox 21 News out in Colorado Springs, Colorado, doing much of the same as what I was doing in college, which was updating the website uh, for the TV station, um, doing a little bit of social media. Again, it wasn't as big, obviously, as it is now, but uh, was out there for two and a half years and then uh, took that Hawks job in December of 2012. So... Uh, it's kind of my my path in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, what was the the job with the Hawks when you when you took it? Was it exclusively social media, or uh, did social media just get packed on at a later point? No. So it was exclusively social media. The title was social media coordinator at the time. That was the position that I accepted in 2012. And as the industry, as you know, has you know has it as it became began to evolve and. Um, as social media became more of a mainstay and more integrated into other parts of the business, my job and responsibilities began to expand. In May, I think it was, of 2015, I actually got promoted to digital content manager, which is the position that I hold today with the Hawks. So I've been doing that role for about three years, and that's kind of working cross-functionally with the different departments in our organization to make sure that you know digital content is represented and um, you know, working with the video team to, to produce videos for digital platforms and, you know, working with our broadcast partners to get that content shared, working with our corporate partnership team on sponsor activations and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, social is obviously still a huge part of that, but it kind of goes beyond that too, right? Like we, 
we can extend digital content into many other mediums. And that's what my role kind of has become over the past few years. Yeah, well, tell me a little bit about what was the what was the job like when you first started? Um, you know, first first week, first game day that you remember. Like, what were the the actual responsibilities um, that you had to do? And then, you know, how did that change compared to what what you're doing now? Yeah, it's uh, some of it's the same as when I started, and some of it's a little different. So I I remember I actually started on a game day. Um, it was 2012. It was. Uh, it was the Hawks. It was Larry Drew's Hawks at the time, uh, the last year of the Larry Drew coach team, the last year of Josh Smith. And uh, we were playing Denver at home. So uh, my first day was a home game. So that was a little, you know, you talk about being thrown into the fire. Uh, it, it was fun. Um, you know, basically just uh, kind of covering the game from the social media angle. So taking photos of players and, um, you know, warming up and, and during the game and, you know, kind of, you know, being down on the court to capture content, uh, photos and whatnot, um, live tweeting the action, um, kind of commentating, uh, doing, doing play by play in kind of a colorful, unique way. Um, you know, at the time there wasn't really game highlights to post. It wasn't, uh, you know, we didn't have the, the broadcast or the broadcast, uh, stations had the exclusive rights to that. So we weren't really doing highlights, but we were doing photos and commentary and stats and all that stuff. Um, uh, probably honestly doing actually more posting than we do now for our, our social channels. And, and I think there was a, if I remember right, there was a heavy focus on Facebook and Twitter. Um, so that was kind of my, my first day. And it really was, you know, me being thrown into the fire, kind of learning as I go. And, and for a little while, that's what I was doing. It was a day to day, um, go to practice, go to shoot around, go to games and, you know, cover the team, almost beat reporter style, but doing it for social media. Um, you know, how, how does that compare to my role now? I, I would say, you know, now I'm more on the management side. So um, I'm, I've got a team under me. I've got a full-time coordinator and two part-timers who kind of do more of the day-to-day -day stuff that I kind of just described. So being at the practices, shoot-arounds and games, capturing the content, taking the photos, uh, doing the interviews, um, live tweeting the games and, and posting highlights and doing all that. And I'm kind of more overseeing uh, really the entire operation, managing the content calendar, um, you know, working with our partners to make sure that they're being integrated in ways that make sense. Um, you know, all that stuff. I, I still do dabble every once in a while in kind of the game night responsibilities and the day-to-day -day social posting when needed. But, um, you know, my role is more of a kind of overseeing role now. So it is a little different, but there's, there's still some obviously of the same stuff as well. Uh, so you, you finagled your way into getting to go home at night. Well, well, well it, done, sir. It, you know, well it's done. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I wouldn't say that. I would say I've finagled my way into doing different work at night. Um, as it, oh, okay, okay. As, as like you, what? As you know, well, this. I mean, it's, there's just a lot going on. I mean, it, you know, this this job takes a lot out of you. It's a lot of hours, and that's kind of the industry. That's that's sports, and um, you know, I think people don't really realize how many hours it takes in our position. Uh, so now it may not always be game night responsibilities at night, but um, there's a lot of nights where I go home and I, I flip the laptop open and I'm still working, whether it's, um, you know, continuing campaign management, scheduling, um, you know, writing up content plans for, for future campaigns that we're working on or thinking about kind of long-term series and stuff like that. Uh, there's a lot of planning that goes into it now. And, 
Um, you know, it still requires a similar number of hours. It's just, you know, it's not always in the NBA arena. Sometimes it's on the comfort of my couch. So I guess that's the, the upgrade if there is one. Yeah. Well, you, uh, you talk about doing a lot of planning now. Is that different than the early days? Cause I know, you know, when I didn't know what I was doing the first, you know, the first season I was on the job, a lot of it was just throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. Was that kind of the case with you at the beginning? Um, or did you, did you kind of have a plan going into it with, uh, how you wanted to run the Hawks accounts? Um, you know, I, I think it was a lot of kind of read and react at first. So similar to you, um, a lot of kind of reactive content, reactive posting, uh, not a ton of planning. I think now we are much more in the planning phase. I think it's a part of it is our organization. We are a kind of a planning heavy organization, particularly in marketing. That's kind of how we've shifted. Um, and, and that's, you know, I, I think there's positives and negatives to it, but th that's the reality of where we are, but also industry wide, you know, as we think about, you know, trying to be more creative, trying to, um, think about how we can turn this space into a revenue stream. I think there has to naturally be more planning that goes into it. So, um, some of it's by design, some of it's because of the way the industry's evolved. And, you know, I think there's, like I said, I think, I think there's some good things. I think it allows for us to, uh, you know, have a little bit less legwork, uh, you know, on the, on the back end, um, because we're, you know, we're doing more planning on the front end, but I also think, uh, in some ways it limits your creativity because when you plan, uh, you know, you're not, you're not as creative always as when you kind of read and react and come up with something on the spot. You know, I kind of compare it to being an NFL quarterback. If you're, if you, if you run the set play and you do a three-step drop and throw a five-yard slant over the middle, you know, that works, but it's not nearly as exciting as that seven-yard scramble that you kind of make out of nothing. So, um, you know, there, there's, there's positives and negatives, but, uh, but yeah, that's kind of the, that's the biggest difference. Yeah, I definitely, before we get in, I want to, I have a lot of questions I want to ask you about how the, you know, the, the job has changed into, where you have to concentrate on the monetization aspect, which, you know, whenever we've started, that was at the furthest thing from your mind. Um, but before we get into that, like, I just want to hit on how in those early days, especially, I mean, you gained a lot of notoriety for being one of the, the best accounts in the, the NBA, as far as, you know, having personality, pushing the line a little bit, um, so just tell me a little bit about how that came about and what was the, the Hawks organization, what, what was their reaction when you started putting out a little more of the, the funny content that, that you guys kind of became known for? Yeah, um, you know, it came about, I, I think, uh, the, my boss at the time who hired me, uh, I think we were really on the same page in terms of what we wanted Atlanta Hawks social to be, the brand voice we wanted. Was it to Micah? Yeah, Micah Hart, yep. Yeah. Um, and, and we were on the same page. You know, we, we wanted this to be a, a fan friendly kind of conversational, informal, so, sometimes witty, sometimes cheeky type of voice. And we wanted it to sound like it was the voice of a Hawks fan. And that's kind of the way we went. Um, you, you know, we, we didn't want it to sound corporate. We didn't want it to sound PR. We didn't want to be pushing promotional messages all day. And, uh, you know, I think part of the reason I got the job is because the two of us connected in my interview about, uh, you know, this is what we want to build. Um, so, you know, when we started doing some of that stuff, I, I think it took a while for the organization to get used to the kind of messaging we were putting out there, and in particular, the tone we were using. Um, there was some kind of 
internal scuffle, uh, as you can imagine. Um, you know, there's, there's just, there's some people who, uh, wanted social and, and felt social should behave a certain way and be portrayed in a certain way and that it reflected the brand a certain way. And then there's people who, you know, thought, thought that it was a good thing, what we were doing and that we were, um, building the brand in a positive way with what we were doing. So, um, you know, we, we had to go through an education process with everybody about, you know, what we were doing, why we were doing it. We had to prove that, um, analytically it worked, uh, that we could still make money doing it the way we were doing it. And, um, you know, I, I agree with you that the a large part of the monetization aspect did come later, but, uh, there was a lot of, um, because it was so new to people, I mean, you know, some people just don't like change or don't understand change. And so they kind of resent it. And, uh, that's where we were for a little while. I think, you know, over time, um, uh, people have kind of started to understand and, and be more accommodating to what we're doing. And, you know, in some ways we've had to change as well, because I think, you know, we made some mistakes early on in trying to establish our voice that didn't align with the rest of the organizational goals and priorities. So it's been a little bit of give and take, but, um, you know, obviously now I think we're in a, in a better place than we were in terms of getting organizational alignment and all being on the same page. Well, uh, what, what were, uh, some of these mistakes that you, that you mentioned, what were some of the, the things that made it may have got you in hot water? Yeah. Um, you know, I think there were two things that stand out to me from early in, in the process. Um, one of them was we actually, uh, Tony Romo, had thrown an interception to lose a game on a, <laughs> yeah. on a Sunday. I remember uh, the day before Al Horford, who was on our team at the time had hit a game winner to beat Dallas actually, ironically. So we, you know, after Tony Romo threw his interception and you know, one of the things we want to do, we always want to be topical and relevant where it makes sense. We don't want to force it, but if an opportunity comes along to, to be a part of a conversation, that's natural and organic, you know, we want to take advantage of it. So, um, you know, to promote Horford's game winner, we, we posted a photo of, of Horford's shot and said, if Tony Romo needs advice on how to handle clutch situations, we know a guy. Uh, and, and that one didn't go over too well, particularly with our, our basketball operations department, who always, you know, preached, you know, we wanted to be humble and uh, we, we don't want to gloat over victories and, and such. So, you know, that was kind of a an understanding of, you know, okay, this is, um, you know, we need to back off a little bit on kind of gloating and, and showboating after wins and kind of, you know, be humble and um, express some humility in that, in that regard. Uh, the other example was uh, a kind of a legal one, actually, which wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but um, the, the year that Lance Stevenson blew in LeBron James' ear uh, during the playoffs, uh, it actually the night that it happened was the night before Al Horford's birthday. And we always post the birthday graphic, wishing our players happy birthday as most sports teams do. Uh, so we posted one the next day of Al Horford, um, you know, it said happy birthday, you know, join us in wishing Al Horford a happy birthday. And we actually had Lance Stevenson. We, we cropped out the kind of the stance of him blowing in the bronze ear. And we actually had him blowing out Al Horford's birthday candles. Um, you know, we thought it was good, great at the time. I, th I think where we got in a little bit of trouble with that one, if I remember right, was Lance Stevenson was set to be a free agent. And because it was the Eastern Conference Finals, uh, Indiana against uh, Miami at the time, I think it was, um, the Hawks were out. So we could not actually discuss free agents. It was kind of, it was an NBA rule that any 
mention of a free agent on social media was considered contact and therefore could be considered tampering, which would lead to a violation and all that stuff. So that was a, a good lesson for us from a legal standpoint that we can't mess with any of that stuff. So, you know, for, for one reason or another, you know, we've had a couple things that, you know, we've, we've had to kind of learn as, you know, by trial by fire, so to speak. But, um, you know, we, we've made the best of it. We continue to try to have a voice that our fans can connect with and obviously within reason playing by the rules of both internal rules and NBA rules. And, uh, you know, I think we're in a good place in both regards now. Yeah, I remember that Lance Stevenson thing and just the the whole explanation of it being considered tampering. Just of all the the things that the NBA does well, like then they they I'm, I'm not going to bash the NBA. Sorry, I was I was about to go down on tangent, but <laughs> yeah, what they think was going to happen? Like Lance Stevenson was going to see that and say, "Oh, you know what? I'm going to sign with the Hawks now because they they use me in a in a graphic." That's yeah, I, I just remember that being so so silly. Well, and, um, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not here to say, you know, what the, what, if the NBA's rules are, are, or aren't, you know, good rules or not, but, you know, regardless of what the NBA's rules are, you know, it's our job to follow them. So I, I definitely understood that one. Um, and, and that was obviously one that we had to, to remove and, and kind of just talk about internally and make sure we wouldn't go down that road again. So it, it was a good lesson for everybody involved and, you know, certainly one that I wasn't going to complain about because I understood, you know, exactly where you know our legal team was coming from there. So when uh, something like you post something like that, how many levels of approval did you have to go through in order to say, all right, ship it? No, and then that's the thing with us is we don't really we didn't really have levels of approval at the time. Um, we were we were given the freedom to kind of just do our thing. Uh, we have a lot of. You know, we had a lot of trust from our upper management and, and still do. Honestly, we have a lot of freedom in general. Um, you know, I think what we've done as a result is we've created and, and kind of morphed and transformed over time what we call our social media guidelines document. And what that is is basically a list of do's and don'ts of what to do on social, what not to do, um, the types of things we can post, the types of things we can't post, best practices, um, kind of a you know, security level of if something does go wrong, here's how we handle it. These are the steps to fix it uh, and all that stuff. So, you know, we're, we're in, in a place where I think we have a pretty good read on, uh, on what we're doing in the social space. But, um, you know, that document that I referenced, is certainly something that we still reference all the time. And I think we use that kind of in lieu of approvals because nobody understands the space like our team does. And so to kind of to go through approvals, you know, and to take it to people in our organization who don't understand the social space, um, usually uh, what ends up happening is we, we end up getting an answer that either doesn't make sense because they're not knowledgeable about the space or because they don't understand it, they just say no. And we didn't want that to happen. So I think we're, you know, we've got a good system now where we have the trust to post what we think it works best on our channels, but we have to play by the rules. Well, what were some of the things that have worked best um, on your channels? That, that I've asked you about the mistakes. What are some of the things you've done that you've been most proud of? Yeah, I, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of things that come to mind. Um, you know, I think just in, interjecting and trending topics has always worked well for us. Um, you know, we've done that a number of times with the Grammys um, and, and award shows and pop culture in general, things like that. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, 
Uh, we did an emoji schedule where we released our schedule all in the form of emojis. Uh, that, that really played well, got a lot of press. Um, you know, we did some things during our, our 60 win season that we really enjoyed, uh, adding a W to our Twitter name for every win we had during our 19 game winning streak and, and eventually running out of Twitter characters was one that, uh, that we were really proud of. Um, you know, just last year we actually did a, when the Falcon, well, I guess it was over a year ago now, when the Falcons went to the Super Bowl, uh, we did a Facebook live stream of, of a Madden game where it was the Falcons against the Patriots, but instead of the Falcons players, we actually created a Madden player for every, all 15 of our players on our roster and substituted them for Falcons players. Um, you know, that thing got several million views. We were really, really excited about how that turned out. Um, you know, we've done similar things like that with 2K and Facebook Live. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a whole slew of things that, that we, you know, have felt really good about that have gone over well. I think the most recent one um, that we really liked was uh, the Lakers were in town a couple weeks ago. And, you know, we went around and actually took photos of all the Lakers fans in our arena who were wearing uh, Lakers jerseys, but players who weren't playing on the team anymore. So a bunch of Kobe Bryant's. Um, you know, I think there was even a Dwight Howard. There was, uh, uh, some, old, some older, um, you know, Hall of Fame type guys, Magic Johnson, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, guys like that. Um, and basically we, we created a Twitter thread to basically show like these Lakers fans are living in the past. They're not wearing any current player jerseys, um, uh, which was kind of, you know, a, a subtle shot at our, our, at our Lakers fans without kind of, you know, damaging the Lakers or their brand or anything like that. So, um, so that one we liked. Um, but yeah, there's been, there's been several and we've had some fun with it and, you know, hopefully we continue to kind of think up those creative and unique ideas. Yeah. Have, have you seen, to, to me, it seems like, you know, you get, you get a lot of well-deserved accolades for what you've done with the account, but those, those big moments aren't, you know, every single tweet, there's still a lot of, um, filling time in between those, those, those big moments, the big funny moments, you know, how do you, how do you balance trying to come up with stuff that's creative versus the things, you know, you have to post like end of game updates or, um, the specials in the team shop and stuff like that. Do you find it difficult to have to hit some of the boring things for lack of a better term to, to balance it with the stuff, you know, is going to be a big hit on social and get the most engagement. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody struggles with that. Um, you know, there's always going to be things that, you know, you know, before you post it, like this isn't going to get any engagement. It's not going to be worth our time to post, but we have to post it. Uh, you know, it's just part of being a business. Um, you know, we, we have to, we have to use social media to, to drive the business as well. And, you know, while that is certainly not our main objective, uh, you know, we're not using social to make money. That's never our number one goal. Uh, you know, it is still something that, um, you know, pays, pays the bills, allows me to stay employed and, and it, it needs to happen. Uh, you know, our goal is, and it's not going to happen with every post, but we want every post to be something that our fans value in some way or another. So they may not value it from a, oh my gosh, this is going to go viral and create a lot of engagement, but maybe they value it because, oh, they didn't know that that, Hawk shop discount existed or, Oh wow. I didn't know that there were still tickets available for that game. Or, you know, I didn't know tonight's game was on this radio station. So, you know, we hope that even though it's, you know, it's not sexy content, we, we hope that fans get at least some value out of everything we do. 
Uh, and then obviously, you know, we want to continue and maintain our brand voice with every post we make too. So um, even the boring posts, we're still trying to think up some good copy that we can say. Um, you know, how do we write this in a way that keeps people engaged and, you know, may make somebody want to share it or may make somebody at least want to pay attention to it instead of, you know, scroll right past it in their feed. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a challenge. One that I think, um, you know, we're all working on and, and trying to be better about, but, you know, we, we want to have as many of those awesome moments that you referenced as possible. Yeah. And so when I was politely asked to not run a team's Twitter account anymore, like the, this, the corporate posts or the sponsored posts were, had already become just really difficult to manage. You know, they were, they had finally figured out that, Hey, you can, you can make money by selling social posts. And, you know, it just, it was a free for all with, Hey, we so-and-so bank, we told them we would post this on our account for them. They already paid us. You have to do it. And it would be, you know, terrible nonsense. And I was, I got into, you know, our whole marketing department got in big discussions with corporate and trying to iron out, you know, like we, the best ways to do this. And it was, it was getting crazy even three years ago. And when I, so when I look at NBA team accounts now, it seems like it's gotten even worse. Like, am I wrong there or has the corporate sponsorship um, of NBA team social media accounts? Is it, is it just gone off the rails lately? Um, in terms of volume, you're absolutely correct. There's a lot more volume of posts than there were before. I think where teams have started to get creative, uh, and we're working on this too, is how do we integrate that stuff organically into the content we're already doing? So, um, you know, you, you, you're right. Like it's, uh, on any given day, we may have up to 10 posts that we have to make that are, you know, that have a, a partner attached, but our hope is that the majority of those are natural integrations, things that we're already doing, or, you know, interesting or unique or relevant content franchises that we've developed for the partner themselves, as, you know, as opposed to just slapping a logo on something and posting it or essentially creating an ad on behalf of a brand, which is not what we want to do. Um, I think teams are now trying to think about internally how to work smarter, um, how to involve their marketing and social teams sooner in the process, as opposed to going to sell it and then giving it to the, to the corp or to the digital team to execute after it's been sold without any say in it. So, um, you know, bringing digital teams in on the front end to help develop what these ideas could be and how do we integrate these brands is I think a positive step. So that way, you know, while there may be more value volume, excuse me, I think the quality of content in that space is improving. Do you think that it's going to fundamentally change, you know, NBA Twitter from what it from what it once was, where it was, you know, more focused on getting engagement, more folk where the end goal was, hey, we got 5000 retweets and brand exposure and Bleacher Report did an, or, you know, an article about how funny we are versus now where you have to go in there and say, all right, we're just like any other department. Here's the revenue that we made this year, you know, I, th is it going to fundamentally change NBA Twitter as we know it? Is it going to go from this fun um, where teams are joking around and stuff to where it's more like, all right, they're just selling advertising, like every other aspect in the arena and on TV and all that kind of stuff. Um, my 
hope and my hunch is both to say no to that. And the reason why is because I think you're always going to have those moments where you can be organic and authentic and, and not, um, you know, not be so corporate. I, I think the, uh, the revenue part is certainly something that's always going to exist now. You're always going to have to show that what you're doing drives the business. But, you know, driving the business doesn't always have to be measured in dollars and cents. I think that driving the business could be measured in brand awareness or, um, you know, uh, how much earned media value you have on something, uh, which, you know, social plays a large part of that. Uh, and, and that stuff is obviously driven by, you know, the stuff that you mentioned, the Bleacher Report or ESPN picks up, and that's not going to be your, your sponsorship. So um, I think there's a lot of ways to measure success in the social space, even to, you know, the people that, that are looking at the bottom line without telling them that exactly like, okay, this made that much for the bottom line. Um, and I think, you know, this is a space where people continue to evolve and be creative. And I think we're going to continue to see a bunch of creative stuff. I don't think the, I don't think the NBA Twitter aspect of it is going away as long as fans continue to demand it. And they obviously right now continue to demand it. So we're going to continue to give it to them. Are there any tactics or methods or anything you, you think would work to help, you know, make corporate sponsored posts be more organic, get more engagement, like any ideas that, if there were no, you know, if the the sponsor themselves or internally, like no one was fighting against you, are, are there any ideas you you think would would help in this in this sphere, or is it just something you just? It's always going to be what it is because there are so many parties and so much money involved. Sorry if that question didn't make sense. Do you get? I'm, I'm just trying to ask, like, if you were free from all restraints, and they just said, "All right, Jared, so and so burger company." wants to do a sponsorship, you have free reign. Like how would you go about making it as good as possible? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think in, integrating it into content we're already doing is one of the options that's available for, for most of our partners. And I think that's a good solve. Um, and then the other one is, you know, how much money do they have to spend where we can go do something cool with them? I mean, do we get an influencer involved and have them, you know, trying different burgers and figuring out which one they like best, or is it a, you know, is it some kind of burger and basketball challenge or, you know, do we have an actor come in and, and do we, do we pay them to do something where we, you know, naturally integrate the brand into, into our brand and, and weave it into basketball. Um, you know, so I think kind of having the, the partners give us an activation budget that we can go do something cool with, I think is, is the future. And obviously we've already started to see that. Um, and then just, you know, naturally integrating them in stuff that we know our fans engage with. Um, you know, those are two options for me that I'd love to do with 100% of our partners. And obviously, you know, every partner has got a different goal, so it may not make sense to do both or either one of those, those options, but, um, you know, letting them know, Hey, this is what fans are, are reacting to. This is what they're talking about. And maybe more importantly, here's what they're not talking about. Uh, it, it's important. Like, you know, we have enough ammo and enough data now to go to a partner and say, look, I know you want this, but here's how previous similar posts have done. Uh, you know, they're not getting any engagement. They're not getting any impressions, any eyeballs. And if you go down this route, you may get your message out there, but not a lot of people are going to see it. And if you want to do something better, you know, follow our lead. You know, this is, you're paying to be involved with our space because you want our social media. So let us kind of do what we do best. 
and we can get you the exposure we, you need, we can get you the foot traffic you need, or, or whatever the, their goal might be. Yeah, and would the Hawks organization be good at supporting you guys whenever you would, you know, try to take this approach? You know, were there any times where they had to take your your side over a sponsor who maybe wanted something that you knew wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be good content? Yeah, I think we're getting better. Um, you know, I I I've, I can think of times where it's been gone both ways. There have been times where we've been told, "Nope, this is paid for. You have to do it this way," and you know, money wins. And then there's times where, you know, we've, we've got a, a pretty good activation team and a pretty good sales team where we're like, no, the, look, that, that totally makes sense. Let's go give them something that is a lot more valuable to them than, you know, what they want. Um, and so we, you know, we, we have done, some, we've gotten some pushback from, from clients, but ultimately, you know, we're trying to help them. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's getting a lot better. I think we're working really, really closely right now with our sales and activation teams on, what can we deliver for clients that makes sense for both parties? And they've been incredibly supportive of that. Um, I think we have a really good team in place for that with the Hawks. I don't know how other organizations work, but, um, you know, I think we're, we're really improving in a lot of ways there. So, um, so that's exciting. Yeah. And so I know the answer to this question is probably a combination of the two, but, you know, you mentioned getting promoted and all that kind of stuff. Do you think, that the Hawks organization, you know, values what you do more based on the publicity you got for the highly engaging creative stuff, or is it more like now they're realizing, all right, this is a true money-making thing. And now we see this role as far more important. It was than we just, than, than it was when we hired him as a little social media coordinator. No, I, it's definitely the latter. I, I think, you know, right now it's difficult for any organization to, put that engagement and that kind of brand above revenue. And, you know, the Hawks are, are a very revenue driven organization by nature as, you know, obviously most companies are not just sports, but all companies. So, um, you know, being able to show that ROI, I say is, you know, far superior in terms of, of what they value, you know, as opposed to, you know, this post got, you know, 50,000 likes or, you know, 30,000 shares or whatever that, you know, that, that stuff is great. And it's great to get a hit in the media every once in a while for stuff like that. But, uh, no, I would say that, that the Hawks are very much a, uh, you know, how does this help drive the, the overall business and how does this help, uh, you know, help us move tickets and help us, you know, sell sponsorships and all that. That's, that's definitely the main focus. Yeah. And so when I was, I was doing research for this and I was looking through some accounts and, um, I'm going to ask you about something I noticed about the Hawks account. And again, this is not, um, I'm this is I don't mean this as a gotcha thing. I just randomly no, started yeah. going through the Hawks account because uh because you guys are rightly considered um one of the best in in the NBA. But so I was looking through this is a very unscientific study. I was just scrolled through uh the 200 most recent tweets, not counting retweets or anything like that on the Hawks and I found like 31% of them and then 44% on Instagram were tagged in some way as a paid partnership. Um, like to me, that just seems like a, an extremely high amount. And to be fair, you, like you mentioned earlier, you guys integrate it well with stuff that you would have already been doing anyway, you know, like the starting lineups or the picture of the night, you know, stuff like that you would have been posting anyway. But my, my concern, again, being from being on the outside now looking in is, 
you know, at what point do fans start to tune this out because they just, because it just seems like they're just being advertised to all the time. Like, am I, am I just being overly sensitive to that? Or is that, is that something you you think is a, a real concern? No, it's an absolutely valid concern. And, um, you know, those numbers, while they are staggering, are, are not, I'm not surprised to hear them because it does seem like we, you know, we, we serve sponsors and advertisers a lot more than we serve ourselves. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's frustrating. Uh, it, not necessarily the, the content, but the fact that, you know, everything has to be labeled with, with a sponsor or with a logo or, or whatever. Um, you know, I, I've been, I've always been of the opinion that, that fewer is better, um, less is more. And, you know, unfortunately, we very much look at it as a, you know, by post model with, with the Hawks. And I think, uh, you know, slowly we are transitioning to kind of a by impression model where we, we value stuff based on impressions, but, you know, for, for large chunks of deals that have been in place for a number of years and have multi-year deals, uh, you know, that, that's just kind of how it is. Like, oh, you get X number of posts per week or, uh, per month. And that's how, you know, people think that, Oh, the more posts, the the more exposure. When in reality, especially with algorithms on social these days, it's often more posts is less exposure. So, um, you know, I would much rather have three really, really good pieces of content for a partner as opposed to 10 kind of, you know, lame or uh, really not valuable pieces that we're putting on there just to check off a deal. And, uh, you know, it's a... It's a sales first organization for, you know, the Hawks are as are, you know, the other NBA teams and sports teams. It's not that this is a unique situation to the Hawks, but, um, you know, I think until pro sports teams learn to kind of, you know, be a, a marketing and digital first organization and, and understand that revenue will come naturally if, if the content is good, uh, you're going to see that. You're going to see the 31% and the 44%. And, and I do think fans tune it out. I, I know that. You know, when I'm scrolling through my feed, just my personal feed, separate from the Hawks, I'm I'm tuning out the advertisements as well. Uh, I think there's really great pieces of content out there that are sponsored that, that do really well that, you know, a lot of teams do. But, um, you know, there's also a lot of garbage out there. And, you know, that's unfortunate. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not just picking on the Hawks. It is it is league wide. Um, and I, do you feel like I always felt very much a sense of pride in everything that went out on the rocket social. Right. And if it was something that I didn't like, or I didn't approve of, like I took that kind of personally, you know, so whenever I had to throw out some like horribly worded, nothing of a tweet for some bank or whatever like that, like that, it just bothered me. And I knew that we were all in uh, a little bit competition with each other. You know, the NBA would send those, uh, weekly rankings of who had the the best engagements for the for the week and stuff like that and like damn it I wanted to be at the top I wanted to be number one and I always felt like this bank is killing me you know you ever feel you ever get that kind of do you take it personally or is it just kind of all right dirt off the shoulder that's that's just the cost of doing business no I mean I I understand that it is the cost of doing business but no it, you know it is personal I think that you know it is frustrating when um you know, numbers, analytical numbers are down and, you know, people don't understand why 
when we've told them why, you know, I, I think that's kind of the, the thing that is most frustrating about it. Uh, you know, we know what, where we could be if we could do social our way. And if we didn't have to, to do the kinds of posts that you were doing, that you, you were talking about, um, you know, we, we know where our numbers could be. We know they'd be much higher, um, across the board, but, uh, you know, so yes, I, I, I have a tremendous amount of pride. I'm, I, I get, you know, I, I don't ever want crap to go on our feed. Um, but there are times when you unfortunately have to check boxes and move on and, you know, you have to realize that we are part of a business and we are here to, to drive revenue too. And, um, that's just, that's, that's life. That's, that's how it works in 2018. Yeah. Well, how do you think it's going to work in 2023, 2028? Like, I know asking people to predict, um, how technology is going to go is never a, a, f- a fun thing, you know, for them to answer, but you know, where, you know, how do you see the job of a team social media manager changing, you know, in the, in the near future or the far future, if you even think there, there is going to be one. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I'm not sure I have a good answer either. Uh, but I will say that one thing that we are, we at the Hawks are doing is we are really starting to look at our, the paid side of social, um, and how can we move some of our promotional material, some of that stuff that you referenced that's not all that sexy, um, over to the paid side and, and kind of, you know, try to integrate, uh, try to integrate it, excuse me, in a way that, you know, will allow some of that activation budget to go toward targeting paid posts to a specific audience. So, you know, posts may not show up on our organic feed anymore. They may be, you know, put it like on Facebook, for example, we may put posts in through the business manager instead of posting them directly on the page. And that way we can target it. It'll show up as an ad for the audience that we target. And, you know, we can be a little bit more uh, robust with how we target and a little smarter with how we target and use some of that activation money to, to do that. So I think that's kind of, you know, that's something that's kind of already in place for some brands. And I feel like it's going to continue to go that way. Um, you know, I think we are a fan of the pay to play model for the posts that we know are not going to perform organically. And we want our channels to be our organic channels to be the, just the content that fans can consume and engage with and, you know, be excited about. So, you know, I think that's one way it's going. Um, you know, I also think, you know, personalization of, of, of the, of feeds is going to become even more prevalent. So, you know, what you see on the Hawks Twitter page may not be the same thing as what I see based on what you have told Twitter you're interested in and what you like and what your hobbies are. And I think that's only going to continue to evolve more and more, um, which will also help us with targeting. So, um, uh, you know, I think the personalization aspect and then, you know, hopefully, you know, transitioning some of the promotional stuff will help us be a little bit smarter about how we approach our channels. Yeah. Um, kind of jumping back into taking things personally, um, how have you been able to kind of separate, um, you know, your feelings from the, the kind of, uh, the darkness that is Twitter, you know, some people just want to say negative, negative things to everything that you post regardless, you know, has that, how have you gone about not letting that get to you or not taking it personally when, you know, just, jerks on Twitter want to say that everything you do is crap, or I'm sure you've heard what everyone has heard that you 
something you post people don't like for whatever reasons, like fire that intern. Like what intern is running this account? You know, how have you how have you been able to, you know, separate your yourself emotionally from having to deal with with that all the time? Yeah, that part for me is actually pretty easy. Um, you know, I, I think maybe the first six months I worked for the Hawks, I took it a little personally, but I mean, that stuff doesn't even bother me anymore. That That's more of a, you know, people are going to say what they want to say. And, you know, the internet is the internet and it's a, it's a negative space in general and giving people a, an anonymous area to comment on something, they're, they're going to take advantage of it. So, um, for us, we just ignore everything. I mean, we, you know, we, We'll respond and like positive comments to show people that, you know, we are listening to you if you're going to say something positive. But, you know, if you're being negative on our page and if you're saying that, you know, this sucks or why would you post that or fire that intern, like, that's not even worth a response. Like, I'm, I'm too busy. I've got too much to do. Uh, you know, I don't need to, to even think about the fact that that's on there. Um, we do leave it on there. Uh, which I know is a little different than some other brands. We're not, we're not going to delete comments because we do feel it's important for people to express their opinion and we, we respect everybody's opinion, uh, but we certainly don't agree with everybody's opinion. And, um, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to give you the gratification of a response if you're going to come and be a troll. Yeah. What about, um, not, not, just from negative comments, but just from comments in general and interactions in general, how, how good were you at being able to check out, right? When you got, when you got home, were you able to set the phone down and not just scroll through the, the thousands upon thousands of interactions, you know, everything you post gets, you know, did you do a good job of that or did you fall into the, uh, the addiction side of it? that so, so many of us often did. No, I, I don't, I don't know that I would call it addiction, although that's probably what an addict would say. But uh, I, I think for me, I was definitely checking, but I almost felt like it was a, a job responsibility. Not so much an addiction, but a, um, you know, oh, I have to keep up with what's, what everybody's saying so I can monitor it for work purposes. And if I need to respond to something or if I need to, um, you know, alert somebody on our staff of something, I'm, you know, I, I know what it is. Uh, I don't know that I was doing it for addiction purposes. There were plenty of times where I wanted to put the phone down and couldn't uh, for job, job related purposes or what, what, what have you. But uh, no, I, I don't know that it was, it was necessarily addiction. I, I think, um, you know, my, the, the, the balance, if I could say that there was balance because I was checking it a lot when I got home, but if, if there was any kind of balance, it was balance that was forced upon me by my girlfriend who, who is now my fiance who says, like, okay, you're done working now. Like, you know, we need to spend some time together. You need to unplug. And that's, you know, that's always a reminder, obviously, that family and friends are more important. But, um, but yeah, I, I was generally speaking and still generally am, you know, plugged in most of the time. Yeah. I, I used to joke, people would say, you know, when do you, when do you get off? And I was like, never. Yeah. Like, never. You were always on call, like more than, more than a surgeon, more than an ER doctor, like you just on call for anything, even in the off season, like, all right, trade just went down at, at midnight. You need to, you need to handle everything. Yeah. I was like, and that's difficult to balance that with any type of life outside of, outside of the job. Like how, what, what were your experiences like with that? You know, with your girlfriend, now fiance and just friends and family in general, like how did you balance the demands of this job with having just a life in general. 
Yeah, um, you know, it, it was tough, or and it still is tough. Um, you know, I, I don't think people realize uh, unless you're in this in in inside the day to day. I don't think people realize how many hours it takes to monitor, to maintain, to work, to be on call. Um, you know, it, it, it is a lot, and it's not necessary. I mean, it's it, there. There's a lot of negative that comes with it in terms of the toll it takes on your physical and mental health. Um, you know, your your sleep schedule, uh, all all of it. You know, what I what I finally did was, you know, I had finally had enough, and, and I went to our leadership and I said, you know, we need help. I I printed out my kind of my average weekly schedule. Um, you know, showed them that. Um, and, you know, we've, we, we did get a couple of bodies, a couple of part-time bodies I mentioned earlier in, in, in this podcast to, to help with some of this, just to take some hours off of my plate. But, um, yeah, it, it is a physically and mentally and emotionally draining position and one that, um, you know, you really have to have adequately staffed to do it well. And, you know, we, we've skated by with the minimum for very, for a very long time, but, uh, yeah, it's it's tough, and and I'm yeah. I've, there were a lot of times where I was in the same boat as you. Yeah, and I've talked some of the other guys I've talked to who are who are out of the game now. That's the sentiment. You know, you, there were so many good things that you saw. You had so many great experiences, things that people would only dream of. Very few people ever get to do in their lives. But at the same time, it just the brutality of it just just gets to you. Um, and I, I, I hope I'm not, you know, being too forward with this, but I, you're about to join our ranks as, uh, the, the, the former NBA social. So I, I just wanted to know, like, did that have any, any role in why you've decided to, uh, to step down from, from your throne, you know, you're and the, the reign of NBA, you're one of the longest serving, I think, I don't know that for sure, but when I think back of the original guys, um, and girls that were running it when, whenever I started. And, um, you know, I think you're one of the, the last originals left. Um, so yeah, just tell me what, you know, what led to, uh, you finally wanting to step away. Yeah, no, I, that, that's 100% part of it. I think there's just a, a level of, you know, not feeling like you're valued, um, based on how many hours you work versus, versus your pay. Um, that, that was certainly part of it with me. I, I think I was ready for, um, you know, either more responsibility or, um, uh, more money or a, a better schedule, you know, one of the three and, you know, realizing that that wasn't going to happen in this position. Um, you know, I think it was the right time for me to step away and, you know, focus more on, on my health and, uh, and my soon to be family and, uh, uh, kind of more, more for me. Um, you know, the other part of it, it was, I, you know, I got a tremendous opportunity and, uh, you know, at, at the time of this recording, I, I'm not going to be able to share what that is, but, um, you know, if you follow me on social media, uh, you'll, you'll learn what that is very, very quickly. Um, but yeah, you know, I think it's, it's a, it's a great opportunity for me to do, uh, to do something that's new, that's challenging, um, you know, some growth potential, uh, with a new role. And, you know, again, I, I think, um, you know, I have nothing against the Hawks. Like it's, it's not necessarily the Hawks. I think it's a, you know, it's an industry wide, uh, fault, if you will, that, you know, in the sports industry, you're just expected to be out all the time and it does take a toll on you. And I think that's why, um, you know, you, we've seen the turnover that we have in the last few years that you mentioned. It's, I think there's, 
there's some people who are just longing for a better schedule for, for more time for them and their families and, uh, you know, their health. And, um, I, I think that's certainly a part of it for me. I love how even with this, you're still generating hype and generating interest and getting, getting people wondering now, Ooh, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Yeah. That's why you, that's, that's why you're the best man. That's why you're the best. I, 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 will, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know that, that the job that my next one will be as sexy, but I, I certainly, uh, I'm certainly excited about it. It's going to be, it's going to be fun. Um, you know, I think it's a good opportunity for me. I think it's, it's a logical next step in my career. And, uh, you know, again, I, I think that, you know, at a certain point, like I, I love the work with the Hawks. Like I love going to work every day. I love the people I work with. I love the work. Um, I don't necessarily love the workload all the time, but I love the work. Uh, you know, I just think at a certain point, um, you know, you realize that, that your potential for growth is, is somewhere else. And that's, that's kind of what it is for me. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited and, uh, you'll, I promise you'll find out very soon. All right. Well, we're anxiously awaiting. Um, if so, if you had to just kind of in wrapping it up a little bit, I know you've given me a lot of your time and I appreciate it. Um, if people asked you just in general, wanting a quick answer, what is it like to run the social media for an NBA team? Like what, what would you tell them? What's your, uh, the elevator pitch equivalent of an answer that you would give them? That's a good question. Wow. Um, you know, I think it's, it's a lot of, a lot of power, a lot of spotlight. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's also, it's also a lot of responsibility. Uh, you know, you've got to, you've got to make sure you got to just think about like everything you do and everything you post, you're going to have tens or hundreds of thousands of people that see it. And, uh, you know, you, you've got a lot, you wield a lot of power in that space to elevate a brand and to change the course of a brand, um, you know, for better or for worse, but, you know, hopefully for better. And, uh, it's, it's, it's exciting, man. It's, it's, it's really thrilling. And, you know, during games and during events, like it's, it's a lot of fun. And if you're, if you like sports, it's definitely something that, um, that will get you excited. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, is there anything, anything else I should have asked you or that I didn't or anything else you think would be important to, to let people know about the job that I, that I didn't think of? No, I mean, I, I, I don't think so. I think the biggest thing, and it's something that I learned very fast and, and I'm still learning today is like, you just got to be on the same page internally. Um, you know, if, if you're, if you have good relationships with the people you work with in all the various departments who are going to have a connection with the space, then you're going to be in really good shape. And I think that's one thing that has helped me kind of thrive in my career is that I've built, really good relationships with a bunch of people starting at the very top with our CEO and trickling on down throughout the organization. Like, you know, they've given me a lot of trust. They have a lot of faith in me. I'm very grateful for that. And, um, you know, you need to, you need to be on the same page as them in order to, to make this thing work. And, um, I would advise anyone going into that field to, to make sure that that's a priority. And that's it. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to me talk to Jared as much as I actually enjoyed talking with him myself. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at the handle at Jared Wilson. That's Jared, J-A-R-Y-D. And check out the other full interviews if you haven't already. 
Once again, I'm Chad Shanks, and thank you for listening to this supplemental edition of the first episode of Sportsish.